Good morning. And I know it's a few days late, but Merry Christmas. <laughs> My name is Pastor John, and I'm the associate pastor here at East Shore. We're so glad that all of you have joined us today in worship. Now, you might be thinking all this talk about missions and taking a mission trip, that's a really odd way for us to start a sermon. And you might even be wondering, why are we talking about missions at all around Christmas? Why did you have that video? Why are we talking about these other places in the world around Christmas time? But you know what? I don't think there would be a better time of year to talk about it than now. And the reason for that is because Christmas is a celebration of Jesus becoming human. It's of God entering creation, entering the world through the person and work of his son. And so to talk about Christmas without talking about Jesus and about sharing about him, that's kind of missing the point. But more than that, the good news of Christmas is not something that we should keep to ourselves. It's meant to be shared with others. There's a popular Christmas song that you'll hear when this message, again when this message is over, but you may have heard of it called Go Tell It on the Mountain. And we sing it at Christmas. This is what it says. It says, Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. So this morning, we're going to look at a psalm, a passage of Scripture that's going to tell us this very same thing. This psalm is telling God's people to sing and declare God's glory and to rejoice at the coming of the righteous judge. It's what God's people were called to do then, and it's what they're called to do now. So if you're not already there, I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. That's that big book kind of in the middle of the Bible. And we're going to chapter 96, Psalm 96. If you want to use the red Bible that's in the chairs in front of you, you'll find it on page 318, Psalm 96. And children, what we do often when we're reading scripture here, is to honor, to respect, to show that we're listening to God and caring about what he says, we stand up to honor the reading of God's word at this time in the sermon. So we're paying attention to what God says, and I'm going to read our passage of scripture, Psalm 96. I'm going to be reading from a version known as the English Standard Version. So I'm going to read the whole psalm, so that's 13 little verses, Psalm the big 96. This is what it says. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples, they're worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering, come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. 
Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Let's bow our head, close our eyes and pray. Lord, thank You that You are in control and You are the one we can praise and honor and adore and worship Christmas and every time of the year. God, we pray for our missionaries, Stephen and Jennifer, that they'll feel better soon and that we can uh, talk to them. But God, we pray for that you will be with them right now with the work they're doing. And God, I pray that you will be with us right now as we look at this psalm, as we celebrate who you are. God, may what we see here today lead us to sing to you, declare your glory. May we praise you. May we decrease so you can increase, God, that more people would know you And may we continue in these things until the return of the righteous judge, our Savior and Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, if you'd like during this time, we handed out an outline with sermon notes, so you can follow along with some of the blanks in there. I also put a space in there if you want to draw a picture of a missionary, like the ones we saw in the videos or somewhere else in the world doing that. But if we're talking about this passage of Scripture in Psalms, well, we have to think about where we are. This book, Psalms, it's a collection of poems. And these poems have served as a hymn book, a song book for God's people from the time of the ancient Israelites until the modern church. Now, the psalm we're looking at doesn't have an author. It doesn't tell us exactly who wrote this particular psalm. But it's very similar to a song that David sang. If we went back into another book in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, this is very similar to a song that David said he wanted to be sung when they brought the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box that represented God's presence. When they brought that into Jerusalem, they were supposed to sing this song. So the passage we're reading, Psalm 96, it seems like it was adapted from that song of thanksgiving. And this is a psalm that's supposed to be sung during worship, like we just had this morning, singing songs to God. It's a song that's to be sung in the worship in the temple in Jerusalem. It's a song of praise for God's people, for those who have a relationship with Him. That's what this passage is for, God's people to praise Him. Now, if you're here and you do not have a relationship with God, then this passage isn't directly talking to you, because it's for God's people who love Him. But I would encourage you to listen to what's being said here because it tells us a lot about who God is and what he's like. It talks about God's strength and power, his splendor, his majesty, and his beauty. And so I'd ask if you don't know God, listen to what this passage says about him and see if this is a God that you want to know as well. And I pray that as you listen and follow along, your discussion would lead you to want to turn away from your sin, your rebellion against God, and that you too would want to be a part of his people. But for the rest of us, let's think about what the psalmist has to say here in Psalm 96. And he begins with commands to sing and declare. He tells God's people to sing and declare. First, God's people and all the inhabitants of the earth are told to sing to the Lord a new song. They're to bless the Lord's name. They're to tell or proclaim his salvation from day to day. They're to do it every day. And that's something we just did a few minutes ago. We sang songs of praise to God. We even sang a song that most of us didn't know, a new song of praise to Him. However, it's interesting that it tells us to sing a new song day to day. 
It says this is something we're supposed to be doing every single day. And so maybe there's something more in view here. Is this passage telling us that we're supposed to, every one of us is supposed to learn a musical instrument or that we're not right with God if we're not listening to praise and worship music 15 minutes every day? Well, I don't think if you do either of those things, it would hurt you. It's wonderful if someone can learn a musical instrument and it's wonderful to sing praise and worship to God. But the person who's writing this, he seems to have something more in line with these words from a song from a Christian group called Casting Crowns. This is a song of theirs that really stuck with me. The chorus of it goes, let my life song sing to you. Let my life song sing to you. I want to sign your name, God, to the end of this day, knowing that my heart was true. Let my life song sing to you. The idea of this song is that our lives, the lives of believers in Christ, are a song of praise to the Lord. They might not be singing every moment of every day, but their song, how they live, is a praise to God. The words they say, the things they do, the decisions they make are a song of praise to the Lord. When God is our passion, when we live for Him every day, well, then our lives become a new song sung to the Lord. Now, that's, of course, not saying we shouldn't actually sing. We should do both. We should sing our praise to God when we gather together and when we're alone. And we should live for him by his Holy Spirit so that we could truly say that we are signing God's name, saying this day belonged to God at the end of each day. That's why we're told at first to sing to the Lord. A couple verses down, verse 3 says that we are to declare his glory. It says declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. After we praise God, after we sing praise to him, we're to tell others about him. But this task is not just for missionaries, it's a task for us as well. It's like an article in a newspaper or online. We should publish the glory of God. The whole world should know who he is and what he has done. That's why we send missionaries overseas. We want to publish, declare God's glory. And these things, to sing and declare, should flow naturally. Our joy and praise should lead others to want to experience it as well. In Psalm 145, it paints a picture of this being carried out. This psalmist says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. All your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. They shall tell of your power. They will make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. This is what missionaries do. They go to other places where people do not know God, and they do that. They speak They tell, they declare of God's mighty power to those who have never heard him. But again, it's not just for them. Missionaries are not paid to do something that we're not supposed to do ourselves. Every Christian is to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with others. That's why we talk about a trip, whether we're going overseas to share. That's one way we can do it. But we should also do it every day in the places we live, in the places we work, in the places we play. We should share with others about who God is. And you know, this time of year, Christmas time, is a perfect time to do that. Because nearly half of the songs that are on the radio, even still now, or playing in stores, they're doing the work for you. They're telling about Jesus and opportunities for conversations about him. But as we kind of come to the end of the holiday season, many of us will be going back to work or back to school. 
And people will ask, what did you do over Christmas break? Where did you go for the holidays? And that's a wonderful opportunity to share about Jesus Christ and what he means to you and the work that he's doing in your life. Even when Christmas passes, our task of this evangelism, of declaring, telling others about God, it does not end. We should always be prepared to tell others about the Lord. And we do this by declaring God's glory, by we praying for an opportunity, and then having the Holy Spirit-empowered boldness to take those opportunities when they come. We pray, God, I have this friend. I have this person who sits next to me in class. I have this person I interact with. There's a relative I have. My next-door neighbor. God, I'm praying that you will give me an opportunity to share your good news with that person. And then when the opportunity comes, we can declare it with confidence because we know we are just responsible to share. God is the one who saves. If you're a believer in Christ, you don't have to save anyone. You don't have to make someone do something. You're responsible for telling them about God. God's the one who takes care of the saving. We can trust him and then use our words for his glory. But why should we do this? Why should we bother to tell people about God? Well, the next couple verses, verses 4 through 6, give us the reason why we should sing to God and declare his glory. The psalmist says it's because God is great and he is full of splendor, honor, majesty, strength, and beauty. In other words, God is worthy of praise for the simple reason that he is God. He is perfect. He is above everything else. That means he is especially above any false gods or idols. He says that in verse 5, For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Now to really understand that, we have to think about how the people who first read this would take that. At the time that this passage was written, everyone who lived around God's people, the Israelites, they worshipped a multitude of gods. They had a bunch of different temples with different idols that they would do sacrifices to. You'd have a God for every different type of weather, different seasons. And so with all these different gods, they would look at the Israelites and see they're worshiping one God. And not only is it just one God, he's an invisible God. He doesn't have an idol or a statue. And that would have looked ridiculous. It would have looked silly to them. Israelites, everybody else is worshiping all these gods. Why are you worshiping an invisible God? But the person who wrote this, he knew it didn't matter if the Israelites were not worshiping all these gods, and it didn't matter if these people weren't worshiping the one true God, because God's people were still to sing to the one true God. They were to declare him. God does not need to win a popularity contest. He alone is God, regardless of what everyone else thinks about him. The real God is greater than any false God. He has more power than every worthless idol. Whatever gods others may serve, the Lord's people are to worship him alone. But let's talk about today. Today we look around and we don't see a lot of people bowing down to idols, at least here in this country. We don't see people worshiping idols or statues. Well, does that mean this is nothing to say to us? Well, no, the truth is that human nature, who we are as people, that really has not changed as much as we'd like to think it has. Because every living person has treasured at least one thing more than they've treasured God. And even believers in Jesus Christ face a temptation to give more value and worth to things that are really worthless when compared to the Lord. 
Now, I'm not going to try to figure out what every person here's business is about that, but speaking for myself, there are many things that can pull my attention from the Lord. And not all of them are sinful in and of themselves, but when they replace the one true God in my heart, they can effectively become idols. Let me give you a couple examples. A couple of weeks ago, I went to some of my family members to watch the latest entry in my favorite film franchise. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I know that I have to watch myself because I can be more excited about a new movie or a new TV show that's coming out than I can be about the Lord and my time with Him and what He is doing in my life and in the lives of others. For me, the same could be said about football. Now, some of you have heard me mention my favorite teams a few times, and I I really enjoy watching the sport, but it should never be greater than my passion for the Lord. I shouldn't let interests that I have or, or hobbies or passions rise to a greater position than God has in my life. On perhaps a more serious note, my job is associate pastor at East Shore Baptist Church. It means I have a salary and I get paid and I can think to myself, you know, I can save this money, I can do this and I can take care of myself, I can get whatever I want. My faith can be in my ability to work rather than trust and dependence in who God is. I can value my job and what I do more than the God who put me in that position and the one who I need to rely on every day. And maybe some of us can do the same thing. We can put what we do, the classes we take or schoolwork, We can put maybe a passion for a sports team we play on or our job, our career, or maybe even just cleaning around the house. That is our identity rather than our faith in God. For me, other times I can value my relationships with loved ones more than time with God. Now, let me be clear. There is nothing wrong with spending time with my wife or my family, but that should never replace God as being the most important thing in my life. So that's me. Those are a few gods or worthless idols that can compete for my attention from God. But what about you? What gets between you and God? Is there some hobby, some interest, some passion that you're more excited about than spending time with the Lord? Is there some uh, career or job, something you do every day, that that's what drives your focus? Does your family or your loved ones, your friends, does that pull you away from focus on God? Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong or sinful in the act of seeing a movie, watching a TV show, cheering on a sports team, going to work, or spending time with family. Those are all good, wonderful things. But when they become first in our life and they distract us from singing to the Lord, declaring His glory, then there's a problem. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, make sure that God is first in your affections because He alone is great and greatly to be praised. Now, in the interest of time, I'm going to jump down to verses 10 through 13, because as people are singing to the Lord and as they're declaring his glory, well, it should also lead God's people to rejoice for the coming judge. Rejoice for the coming judge. This end of the psalm is focused around praise for the Lord as judge. And that might sound odd, to us. Why would you praise someone who's coming to judge you, who's coming to tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong? But the psalmist answers that for us in verse 10. He says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This judge is the one who reigns. We're told he will judge peoples with equity, with justice, with righteousness. He will do what is right. 
Another psalm, Psalm 9, tells us the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. Other judges may be corrupt, but the one true judge, he gives righteous judgments. He only does what is right. His ways are confirm. They are firm. They are consistent. And they are perfect. Our text explains that. The middle of verse 10 says, The world is established. It shall never be moved. Now, some of us know enough of science class to know that he's not talking about something literally here. The world spins on its axis. That's why we have day and night. The earth goes around the sun. That's why we have our seasons. What this means is that the ruler of all creation gives consistent judgments. He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In a world that's full of corruption, deceit, sin, we don't know what to expect. Well, there is hope in the coming reign of the righteous judge. And so this psalm is looking forward to a time when this judge will visibly reign and rule. Won't be the Israelites worshiping some invisible God. We will see Jesus. We will see him ruling. And creation itself will rejoice. That's what our passage says. It says, let the heavens be glad. The sky, the earth, the sea, the fields, and everything in them are joyful. They exalt and rejoice. Again, the author is kind of making a poetic point here. We know that the sky doesn't talk. We don't hear words coming from the sky or from the ocean. The fields outside, this yard doesn't literally speak God's praises. And as far as we know, animals are not rejoicing at the thought of God, at least in a way that we can observe. So what's going on here is that we're talking about the coming of the righteous judge. And so this response of nature is how his people And all creation is to respond to his coming. The Apostle Paul wrote something in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. He says, creation was subjected. It was made to be futile, almost worthless, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. But the reason this happened, the reason we see brokenness is in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption in hope that will be set free. And then he goes on, Obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Be set free and obtain freedom. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We see this in the world around us. We see things like storms. We see hurricanes. We see natural disasters. And they remind us that nature itself suffers from the effects of people rebelling against God and sinning. So when God returns to earth, when Jesus Christ comes back to judge, to reign, to rule, creation itself, everything we see around us will be restored to the way God meant for it to be. And this is good news. It would lead creation, the sea, the sky, to sing praises to God if it could. But it can't. It doesn't have a mouth. And since the sea, the field, the animals that live in them, they can't praise God vocally, we should do it in their stead. We must take up their worship. We worship because the Lord is coming to judge the world with righteousness and justice and in faithfulness and truth. And the reason we are told this is way back in verses one through three. We're to sing to the Lord. We're to declare his glory because he is coming to judge. Well, what will it look like when he comes to judge? 
There's one passage from the prophet Isaiah that's often said around Christmas time. This is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it. He will uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal, the passion, the desire of the Lord of hosts will do this. And it's here that we see our time together has kind of come full circle. We started by talking about it's Christmas time. Why are we talking about mission, missions? But here we see that our text is pointing us back to that one who was born in Bethlehem all those years ago. He is the true ruler. He is the Lord over all creation. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, and the prince of peace. The kingdom of heaven that he began in the hearts of his followers will one day be established over all the earth. God's zeal and his passion for his glory means that he will judge the world with justice and righteousness through his son from this time forth and forevermore. And so now those of us who know him, we have the Holy Spirit in us who gives us the power, the mission to live for him. He lived a perfect life. He died as a sacrifice, a substitute for sin, and he saves us from eternal death. He brings people who know him into a community, into the church, whose purpose is to sing and worship the Lord and declare his glory to those who do not know him. That's why this passage was written. The man who or woman who composed this psalm and every other author of scripture knew that everything came back to this judge, the Lord. And their mission was to write so that others would know him. Those of us who know him today, our mission is to speak with the goal that every person we meet would know God's glory. So we've talked about God and about how he's great, worthy to be praised and shared with others. If you don't know him, but that sounds interesting to you, you want to know why would you take the time to share about this? You're saying a lot about him. He sounds interesting. I'd like to learn more. Well, please talk to me about him or talk to someone that you know who has a relationship with God about how you can know him too. And about how you can have a relationship, sing to him, enjoy being in his presence. But if we do know him, well then let's use this time of response today and every day to sing to him and to worship him. My prayer is that we'd move away from our idols and that we'd call on the lost world to know God the way we do. May we rejoice in the fact that he's already come, he's already won the victory through his life, death, and resurrection. And may we have the confidence that he will come again to complete his reign and rule. So as this Christmas season ends and as we roll into the new year, there's really one way to apply this sermon. Go, tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go, tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Declare his glory because he alone is worthy.